Welcome to Sex and Happiness with Lori Handlers. Amazing sex and intimacy are just around the corner. While Lori puts the finishing touches on her new book, Sex and Happiness Over 60, please enjoy this show. It's one of her favorites from the Sex and Happiness Archives. Today we're talking about polyamory. We are going to talk about why somebody would choose to love and be intimate with more than one partner. We're going to talk about whether it's even possible. Why would I want to do this? It's so difficult to manage loving myself. <laughs> That's been my lifelong challenge. And it's, it's how even loving one more person is difficult. Why would somebody choose to love more than one person? You know, divorce rates for the first time marriage or something like 50%, over 50%. Divorce rates for the second time marriage are something like 80%. So my guest today is going to talk to us about what it would be like to love more than one person. My guest is Deborah Annapole. She sometimes is known to her friends as Taj, and she's an expert about this. She's one of the world's experts about this, and she's going to tell us some answers to my questions, like why would I want to do this? Why would you want to do this? Why would we even consider it? What could we gain from this? Those are the questions. Those are the outstanding questions over and over again about trying to love more than one person. Deborah, it's great to have you back as my guest. You've been my guest before on this show about your your hot topic. So Yeah, it's been fun. So I'm happy to be back too. I know that it's been hard for me to find self love. I finally have. Through Tantra, I learned to love myself. And I basically can love other people now with a capacity that I've never had before. I can love people almost unconditionally. I can even love people who break their word, which that's been a big struggle. I can love people who I'm not even so attracted to. That's been a big struggle. But to be intimately in love with more than one person, what's the point? Well... It's not that anyone should try to do this or force themselves to do this if they don't want to. It's more that if you should be so blessed as to be in love with two people at the same time, what do you do? And a lot of people, um, myself included in the past, have felt like they needed to make a choice. And that's one option. But if there's really two people that you love, why not love both of them? So you mean before you needed to, I want to just really be clear about this. You mean before, like if you love two people, you felt like you had to choose between which one you saw a brighter future with or which one you loved more or which one you were more attracted to. You mean like that, force yourself to choose between them. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, because when and I was very last? young, I'm sorry, I missed you. <laughs> Did that last? Did the choice last? Yeah. No. 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 <laughs> I just wanted to know. <laughs> <laughs> so then you, you've expanded yourself. You asked yourself the question, what if, I, what if I could manage both? Isn't it worth giving this a shot? This is, the, this is your question, the big question. 
Yeah, and, you know, actually, historically, the, the first experience that I had was loving more than one person and thinking that I needed to choose, but I didn't actually get the paradigm shift until uh, a little bit later in life I found myself loving uh, some people who loved other people as well, and I had to decide, okay, do I want to participate in this or not? And I said, yes, I do. And that's where I really started um, looking into how is this possible, how does it work, who's doing it. And that was about uh, 25 years ago. So you're a pro at this. Well, I, I've been doing it, thinking about it, talking about it, coaching other people for uh, a couple of decades. So, yeah, I seem to have learned a few things along the way. I'm glad. I'm glad. So here's the thing. Let's go back to that example. You found yourself because I feel like the more concrete we can be on this subject, the more understanding and concrete we can be on the subject, the more light we can shed to people who maybe have thought about it but thought there was no possibility. I mean, you coached me recently in a situation where I, I was seeing somebody who loved somebody else, and I, I was happy about that. I actually didn't want, I didn't really want to be in love with this person. I just, I liked having him around some of the time, but I didn't want, I wanted him to have someone he loved um, more than me. I wanted to have an intimate encounter from time to time, but I did not want a love object person in my life. And it's funny because when, when he broke up, when he and the person broke up, he and his main squeeze, we'll call her, broke up, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't want to continue. So it's like he had a double breakup because I didn't want to continue. I didn't want to hear all his problems. I didn't want to be so intimate. I didn't want to be the, the one. And um, so it was interesting how that went. And he and I are still friends, and I don't know if he and she are still friends. But she and I were in complete agreement that it was okay. And I only, I only opened myself up to all of that because I know you. Uh-huh. Well, I hope I mean, it was a good experience. <laughs> you're in my life, so I have permission. <laughs> so go back to the thing. You, 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 you met these people. They were in love with someone else. You had to ask yourself the question, what should I do? And you came up with, I'm going to pursue this. So how did that, how did you go about doing that? How, how, how did that happen? Well, there are three different situations that occurred over a period of a few years. And one of them was actually uh, not just one person, but a group marriage. And it was the the man in the group marriage that was really pursuing me with the encouragement um, and actually participation of the women. And I was a little hesitant to get involved at first because I thought, you know, it's one thing sharing a guy with one woman, but... Uh, here I'm sharing a guy with three women. How's this going to work? But actually, one of the women was very bi, 
and uh, was just as interested in me as, as he was. And the four of them had such an incredible relationship, and I felt so good when I spent time with them that I thought, you know, I'd be an idiot to say no to this. And, in <laughs> fact, it's one of the most loving relationships I've ever been involved in. So just to be, you know, just to get some clarity on this, a group marriage, it doesn't mean it's really legal because that's not allowed in, in, in our in our culture, um, so they just, right. they they acted as it was. He, were were any of the two of them married? Actually, none of them were legally married. Although two of them had been together as a couple for quite a long time before uh, the others. Things evolved over the years, but okay. um, no, they didn't believe in legal marriage. So no legal marriages in that group. Okay, so it was a group marriage by declaration. Yeah, and I'm not, yeah, I think they did use the word marriage. I mean, what that meant was that they lived together and they were committed to supporting each other and working together as a, as a unit. They didn't, uh, they shared expenses but not income. And they, uh, just used their relationship as, as a basis from which to be nurtured and to support each other as a team, whatever they all decided to do together. And they lived together. Were there any children? They did not have children. That was a conscious choice on their part, not to have children, because they really uh, wanted to do something that uh, larger. They wanted to contribute to, uh, yeah society, the, to the planet as a whole, and they saw that while raising children is a noble thing to do, it takes a tremendous amount of focus, and so they chose not to do that, and actually, that's really the reason I'm not still with them is because I was a single parent at the time with a child, and so while I could be part of the extended family, um, I couldn't really be part of the core group because I was a mom. You know, I was going to ask you that, so I'm really glad you said. So what ha What did they say? You know, you can't really, we love you, but you got to go? You, 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 no, no, no. I was part of the extended family because it, it wasn't a closed marriage. It was an open marriage. Right. And right. in fact, uh, you know, they would come and visit me, and I remember one time they actually, um you know, did, uh, well, my daughter was, uh, I think maybe 13 at the time and, and was going to her first school dance. And I had, uh, something I had to go out of town for. And so, you know, they were the surrogate parents and they helped her, you know, do her hair and dress and, and the whole thing. It wasn't that they wouldn't have anything to do with children, but my living with them full time and, you know, becoming uh, a central part of the family was not a possibility at that point. Got it. Okay, so, yeah, so that's the thing. My question then, you know, I have to jump here to the question of children. So you ha do you have one daughter or do you have two? I have two daughters and actually two granddaughters now. Two daughters and two granddaughters. Wow. You're prolific in women. I love it. And they're going to be yeah. 
They're powerful women, I'm sure. So how do how did your daughters how did they face being part of a of a family where a mother is polyamorous? Uh, and how do they face it now? And is it any different from how it was back in the day for you? Well, my, my two daughters are 15 years apart, so they really grew up in two different families. Okay. And, uh, yeah, the younger one, who's almost 22 now, was born into an open marriage. So she never knew anything else. And okay. she... She doesn't really remember this, but I do. When she started dating in high school, and she just kind of assumed that it was okay to, you know, be involved with more than one person. And she was really quite shocked when uh, one of the boyfriends got jealous of one of the other boyfriends and said, you know, this doesn't work for me. You've got to choose. <laughs> and and uh, I've talked to other uh, young people who have grown up in polyamorous families who similarly started out with the assumption this is fine to do, ran into resistance from the monogamous culture, and you know, like my daughter, you know, ended up saying, well, okay, people are not ready for this. Uh, I'm going to back off of it because I care more about my connection with this person than I do about the form of the relationship. So, Ergo, so, your, so your daughter entered into a, a monogamous relationship. Yeah, she kind of tried doing the open thing, and it didn't really work. And so, you know, she decided uh, to go with with the monogamy thing. And, you know, she's still young. She's still trying on different things. And so... I think for for her, it's kind of, you know, whatever works in the situation. And actually, that's something I did want to address because while my book, and this was the publisher's, you know, desire, is subtitled Love and Intimacy with Multiple Partners, it's always been really important to me since I first started writing about this in, you know, the early 90s to recognize that polyamory means many loves. It means being open to allowing love to lead. And if love should happen to lead you to loving more than one person over the course of time, to allow that. But it's not really about the form. So you could have two people who are just... You know, totally a perfect match and totally into each other and not really that interested in having other partners. Not because either one of them refused it, but just because that's not how things are going. And right. to me, that's still polyamory. You don't feel, okay, That because my next question for you was going to be, do you feel, you know, like, I never married. I just didn't want to do that. Maybe I really am polyamorous at heart and never saw a way to, you know, I never felt that one person was enough for me. And I never also felt that I was enough for one person, but I know that I'm a lot to handle. So um, so my, my question was, you know, my mother always felt that uh, she was a failure <laughs> because I didn't do exactly what she did. And it sounds like you don't feel a failure if your daughter chooses monogamy. <laughs> 
no, I'm so proud of both my daughter and these other kids who, instead of, you know, being in their heads with a concept that they think is right, are willing to flow and be flexible with what works. Now, does your older so, daughter feel the same way? Because your older daughter grew up in a different, you were more of a single parent to her. How does, how right, does she, my, is she different from your younger daughter in, a, in that certain way? Yeah, I would say my older daughter is, and, and this is the one that, uh, you know, the people in the group marriage sent her off to her first school dance. Okay. And, and, um, who, you know, saw me dating multiple people, having sexual relationships with multiple people. Um, and, and she was still at home when I entered into an open marriage. But she was really, you know, she she saw me in the early stages of trying to sort all this out. And so you know, she's, I would say, fairly attached, at least at this point to uh, monogamy and she's got a fabulous husband and they're I mean they wouldn't have time for more relationships because they're both working full time and have two kids uh, you know who knows in 20 years who knows where they could get to but uh, I would say at this point her idea is that monogamy is how you do it and that's fine with me I don't have a problem with that. She was lucky enough to connect with a man who's a good match for her. And I yeah. think, you know, this is really a lot of what it's about. And you said, well, you never married. Um, and now I married a number of times, but I think coming from the same place of really only a couple times in my lifetime, uh, connecting up with a person who I felt could meet me on every level. This is not my usual experience. And so, uh, you know, the way I've done that is to rather than um, uh, complain that I'm not being met by whoever I'm with, to say, well, okay, we can share these things and I'm going to share those things with somebody else. Yeah, but then doesn't the person say, okay, but why does it have to be sexual? I mean, I can see that in any marriage, you know, saying, listen, honey, you're not my own thing. You're not my whole life. I adore you, but I, ha I have all these other interests, and, and I want to. I have to play them out. I want to act in the theater, and I want to make films, and I want to do this. And then I could see someone saying, you know, but why does it have to be sexual? Right. Well, it doesn't have to be sexual, but okay. if there's a sexual attraction there, why can't it be sexual? Yeah, it's a great argument. It's really, it's a great argument. It's just as logical. Why can't it be? Who says? You know, my, my take on it is that the whole sexual um, suppression happened around religions wanting to promulgate the religion and not wanting, you know, wanting to control people's rowdiness and craziness. So if they could get us real scared of our sexuality whenever that took place uh, thousands of years ago, then we could be controlled easily and, and not want to propagate with just anybody or jump into a sexual relation with just anybody, then then so be it for them. They could know exactly who the mother and father of each child was, and they could count, oh, this many from my religion, score. You know, like, so. Yeah. 
So we don't yeah, have to go. I have a lot of shows that we, I talk about that on a lot of shows. We don't have to go into that. I, I like the idea that you're making a logical argument for this as a possibility for people to look at, and they don't have to. And you didn't put pressure on your children to have to do it your way as the mom. You, you let them be however they want to be, and, and so they respond well to you. Um, so, so this is a good thing. This is a good thing it, it, to have them have their freedom to be how they want to be, even if that's not the way you are. Exactly. So, and yeah, if I could just say one one thing about this um, sure. sexuality thing that I see that particularly for women, when women's sexuality is repressed or suppressed when they're not sexually fulfilled um, and this could be true for men as well I'm not a man so I won't speak to that but I think we're, we're less empowered as women when we're not sexually fulfilled and monogamy is a great way to prevent women from being sexually fulfilled unless they're with a tantric man because women's Sexual capacity is so much greater than men's in general, unless you know, the man has is trained to put the woman first. He's done when she's just getting started. Yeah, you're talking about in a regular sexual encounter. Boom, boom. Thank you. Done. Roll over. Go to sleep. See you later. <laughs> right. Right. So that, is that is that what got you into Tantra? How are they connected? Because you just did connect the dots. Yeah. Well, you know, this, there's a conversation that just got started about this in Facebook, and I think a lot of people are starting to ask this question because in practice there often is a lot of connection, but there doesn't need to be. There's plenty of polyamorous people. They're not interested in Tantra. They're against it because they're kind of political and they see that as spiritual and so they have a separation there. And there's plenty of Tantric people who, particularly teachers, who have an investment in appearing monogamous because that's their market is monogamous couples who want to have better relationships. But in fact, um, it's extremely rare to find monogamous Tantra teachers. And in in the Tantric tradition, um, you know, pra Tantric practice was not about supporting a monogamous relationship. It was about uh, riding the waves of sexual as well as other energies in order to become more conscious, to become more aware. And so there was actually a prohibition on uh, yeah, falling in love, coupling up, uh, getting infatuated with your tantric practice partner because then you got sidetracked into things like having children and raising families and it was very difficult, especially in the past and actually to this day, to keep your focus on... Um, uh, the bigger picture when you're really involved in being a householder. 
so the connection there in, in terms of my own life, uh, actually Tantra came first. Okay. And, or they, they developed in parallel, I would say. Uh, when I started teaching, after I wrote my first book, I started trying to um, offer workshops for people about polyamory. And I realized that a lot of people that were interested in polyamory had not um, developed their sexuality. Some of them had, but a lot of them had a lot of sexual issues. A lot of them were sexually inexperienced. And so when they would come into contact with other partners or potential partners or their partner's partners, they were not coming from a, a place of confidence and um security. So I realized actually it's important for people to get a basis. It doesn't have to be Tantra or Neo-Tantra, but it's important for people to really develop themselves sexually before they start getting involved with other people. Otherwise, they're just going to feel threatened and scared and inadequate. So you make a case for people studying Tantra who aren't necessarily in couples, which I've made that case for, you know, 15 years, that it's really about my, and, and what I said, what I said even opening the show is, it's been difficult enough for me to manage loving myself, which I did finally manage to learn to love myself, even though I said I loved myself in the past, I thought I loved myself, but after maybe six years of tantric practice with myself and with a partner for some, time, some of that time, I found out that I went so deep inside that I actually loved myself so much I could actually claim having married myself. And, and that's a very different place to be than if I'm just working on sexual techniques to absolutely yeah to please my partner or better sexual techniques to please myself the techniques actually led me so far in so deeply in that the only thing i could come up with was bliss and ecstasy and a feeling of such love for myself i'm so sacred i wouldn't want to hurt myself by pursuing someone who's not for me or pursuing something haphazardly like I did in the past when I didn't have this knowledge. So you're making a great case for, for people to to get into their tantric practice with or without a partner slash partners and do that for yourself no matter what. And then here's a whole other avenue to open up, which is the possibility that maybe just one person is not for you. You know, yeah, it's a great, exactly. Huh, it's a, but it's you a know, great it's pursuit. It's a great, it's a great inquiry, and it's a great pursuit, I think. And what I encourage people to do is to not just come exclusively from the mind, saying, "This is the kind of relationship that I want," whether it's monogamous or polyamorous. But to to really just be more available for what's the truth of the connections that you're making with people. Let the lovely let let the relationship determine the form. Not start out with a picture of the form and try to push yourself and whoever you're relating with into that form that your mind has decided is the superior form. 
Yeah, it's great. Well, there's so much programming, though. I mean, it's, your mind decided it because your mind didn't have a chance. Your mind... Exactly. You know, it, it wasn't a discussed thing in families, you know. Honey, you should let your relationship develop the form. You know, I don't... I know you'll remember this because you and I are in the same decade, but I don't know if everyone listening will remember this. There used to be a promotion on TWA, which was an airline that is no longer... And on TWA, they had the TWA getaway card, and they had these two people on the card. It was one of the first credit card, debit card type things where there was pictures on it instead of just something saying MasterCard or Visa. There was a TWA getaway card. It was a plastic card, and it had a picture of two people holding hands walking towards the sunset. And I used to laugh at it and think that um, people would do anything like one person would be on the card and they'd be looking for a cutout like a cutout doll of anyone to put onto that card you know to walk into the sunset with like just give me my cutout person I have to have that or else I'm no good and they right. so they would so that that would be the form of everything every song that we say that we hear you know every every movie it's about it's about one person finding Mr. Right or Ms. Right, and you're suggesting that there are multiple rights, and it, and it, and it goes beyond gender, and it goes beyond form uh, of what we were taught, and you're, you're, you're expressing that people can have an openness that maybe most people don't even see as possible. Now, how does this differ from swinging? Well, swinging, you know... All these things are words that we attach to behavior. So the words attached to swinging say that it's about recreational sex. It's for couples. It used to be called wife swapping, and then somebody decided that was sexist. But in a way, maybe that's a more accurate description. But swinging is primarily for couples that want to play with other couples. And... The thing is, there are people who call themselves swingers who, in fact, end up practicing polyamory, end up having committed long-term friendships that have a sexual dimension, or they may even end up in group marriages. And there's people who call themselves polyamorous, but really they're just interested in playing sexually with a lot of people. And so the language gets really confusing, and um, recently... I've seen some new language appearing. For example, a somewhat mainstream therapist from the East Coast recently published an article called The New Monogamy. And what she's writing about is exactly what I would call polyamory, but she's <laughs> calling it the new monogamy. <laughs> <laughs> Probably to distinguish it from all the recreational sex going on in the name of um, polyamory and in fact one of my clients said to me recently you know I keep being attracted to these guys who are really kind of monogamous and then we get into conflict because they want to be monogamous and, and I want to have more than one relationship but I keep being attracted because um, I want that depth and intimacy I, I'm not interested in the more casual recreational kind of thing that is what most, quote-unquote, polyamorous people are looking for. 
So the language gets very confusing, <laughs> and, and uh, I think it's a good sign that uh, new monogamy is, is showing up because the same thing happened in the 60s when um, serial monogamy, which is now really the, the norm, very few people have one lifetime partner. They swap, they, they get a new one every few years. They just don't keep right. the old one at the same time. That's right. That's and it was right. called so serial true. polygamy. Um, then the name got changed to serial monogamy, and it became the norm. So I think the same thing may be happening here. When polyamory becomes the new monogamy, then everyone's going to be doing it. I see what you're saying. Now, where was this article published? This is very, this is very interesting to me. Uh, this article is in a, uh, a professional journal called Psychotherapy Networker in the current issue. And uh, if you've been around for a while, you might know that journal is the Family Therapy Networker, but they changed their name to Psychotherapy Networker. And uh, I actually have a call in to the woman that wrote this article. And uh, as soon as I get off the phone here, I'm going to... I'm going to talk to her and find out what she's up to because yeah. this just totally fascinates me. Yeah, it fascinates me. In the article, she, she I'm doesn't interested to hear, and maybe, she, maybe I should have her as a guest on the show. So let me know, you know, give me a report on what happens with her because I'd like to interview her too and see what, see what she's up to, where did she, you know, where did she get this and blah, blah, blah. As far as I know, she is not a polyamorous or non-monogamous person, but she's an open-minded person. So when her clients started coming to her who were doing, you know, open marriages or um, having affairs but, you know, wanting to stay together and, you know, instead of just telling them they were wrong, she took a look at what was really going on. Right. It's, uh, this is so. This is great. It's very encouraging, and I love what you said about words being so important, and cha and everything changing based on how we're defining things, based on what words were. You know, everything is in flux and changing, as it really should be in a living, breathing language and a living, breathing culture. Everything should kind of be in flux and changing more appropriately as the culture changes, and it may just be the words that we get hung up on and everything else really is moving. So we, this is real. you know, I remember studying in high school, I don't know, or maybe in college, something about religions where they had polygamy. And I remember thinking that was, and, you know, that's been going on for forever in the Bible and what have you. I mean, I don't know much about the Bible, but what little I know, I know it was in there. So this we're talking about different stuff. This is different. These are choices that people are making based on really what they find out about themselves as they go through their life. They find out that they're not maybe bent uh or they or they find out that they're in a relationship and all of a sudden it's not what they thought. They actually are attracted tremendously to somebody else and they're starting to give themselves permission to at least look and question and find out what else could be possible here. And that's really, I think that's what you're talking about. Now, the negotiation part, I want to know a little something about that, and I think people need to know a little something about that. If, if, if someone listening to this show all of a sudden has found themselves, you know, they're in something more monogamous and they find themselves 
being really super attracted to somebody and they and they dare to let themselves think that there's another possibility here, what should they do? Well, the first thing is there's always a temptation to say, you know, I'm going to have a secret affair because otherwise I'm going to be risking my marriage, I'm going to be, you know, hurting or, or disturbing my partner, and so I'm just going to you know, do this quietly and um, keep it my my little secret. And while, you know, there's always the exception to the rule, but the rule is that while that might look like a good plan in the short term, in the long term, you're almost guaranteed that you're ruining your marriage and your partner is going to be a lot more upset with you later on to find out that you cheated than he or she is going to be when you... Uh, share your feelings and, and ask for their input before anything happens. And I know that sounds scary for a lot of people, but yeah, think about it. Um, if you really care about the health of your primary relationship, you want to share a big decision like that with your partner. You want to get their input. You want to, uh, you know, allow this to expand your intimacy. If you keep it a secret, it's going to detract from your intimacy. Now, if you're determined to have a sexual experience and you don't really care about the quality of your relationship, yeah, then go have the sexual experience and, you know, pay the price. But <laughs> go ahead. It, it, our whole culture is it teaches us to think about, you know, in a short-term rather than a long-term way. And we're finding out that that doesn't work. It's not sustainable. In the long term, it's going to be a whole lot easier to, to talk about what you would like to do than what you already did. So honesty is the best policy in, in this whole equation, what you're talking about. It really, it sounds like it's the honesty. Now, you know, I've interviewed um, Sasha and Janet Lesson recently, and they talked about, making love together with multiple partners that everyone knows everything and they t and Sasha the husband of this couple said that he has interventions that he does right in the sexual act like if somebody's not feeling good about what's going on while all the partners are together they stop the action and they have you know a, a regular process like a process therapeutic session so they can talk to the person and distinguish, well, what happened in your childhood that made you feel abandoned? And, you know, you know if that's what you're experiencing now, what, what's your take on that? Well, it's a very effective way to do therapeutic interventions. It's not such a fun way to have a sexual experience. <laughs> and... <laughs> I thought you were going to say that. That was a setup. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing to me when he said that. I could just, I tried to picture that. You know, like I tried to picture myself going, okay, now let's go back to your earlier similar. And listen, it works for them, and that's not, it's great. They were so generous in, uh, you know, in expressing what they do. And I just, I had a picture in my mind of, oh, no, <laughs> my goodness. 
So um, yeah, so yeah. What I prefer to do is uh, I I work with some tools drawn from the pelvic heart integration work that was developed by the late Jack Painter that allow people to uh, role play these kinds of situations and you know actually work with them in a therapeutic or or workshop sensual workshop setting with support from the therapist who's getting paid not trying to have fun in bed and um, then people can work this stuff out so that they've already handled it by the time they get to the sexual situation with their beloveds got it I got it that's great Deb that's really really great it's a great suggestion you know if if uh if people, you know, listen, if people would do this about a, a variety of things, not just what we're talking about, not just the subject of possibly being attracted to or wanting to be with a, a, more than one partner, but if they would work some of these things out. I mean, for example, I, I have one other, other question, and we don't have a lot of time, but I, I have to know this. I mean, a deterrent for me is really people's sexual history and the possibility of sexually transmitted disease. I mean, do people who have multiple partners use dental dams and condoms and condoms for oral sex and, you know, all this? To me, that's a huge deterrent to want to play. You know, it's like, oh, I don't want to go there. I've been really lucky in my life. I don't want to contract anything that I don't want. Right. Well, you know, the argument that polyamorous people make is that uh, people who are already doing a practice of sharing openly about who they're having sex with are going to be a, probably more reliable and trustworthy about telling the truth about that than somebody who's supposed to be in a monogamous relationship but is cheating. So, you know, as far as safe sex, some polyamorous people, uh, you know, are all over the the latex and the dental dams and the all of this. And other people prefer to create a, um, some people call it a condom commitment or, uh, you know, to create a closed circle. So it's just like having one partner that you agree to share fluids with, only they have a procedure for people to become part of a group, whether it's three people or five people or six people or however many people it is. They agree not to have unprotected sex outside of that circle, but within the circle they have the same freedom that a monogamous couple would have. Okay, thanks for saying that. That's really important. That's a really... I mean, I've heard people, when I first got involved in the Tantra world, I heard people... Uh, say, you know, well, I'm, my, I'm vibrating at such a high spiritual place that, you know, nothing like that would ever happen to me. I said, yeah, that's what everybody who ever got AIDS said. So I don't, I mean, that's just, I just laughed in people's faces. I said, you know, yeah, right. Well, anyway, we, we are, we are coming at the, to the end of our time together. And I really, I want to just let people know that I've been speaking today with Deborah Tash on a poll. What's your website, Deb? It's lovewithoutlimits.com, all one word, lovewithoutlimits.com. Check out her new book, Polyamory in the 21st Century, Love and Intimacy with Multiple Partners. She exquisitely knows this information. And there's a lot of people who will talk to you about things. Deborah will tell you the honesty 
with inside of integrity, keeping your own structural integrity together, she will discuss this with you like nobody else. And I, I, I want you to know that. <laughs>